Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Kings 13? It has been duly noted that this sounds somewhat like an Elvis song. <laughs> there are events during this time frame that one of the books may record that the other one doesn't contain. For example, we've been noting how Second Chronicles and First Kings go together pretty much, but here's one of those instances that we find in First Kings that uh, is not recorded in the Chronicles. Now there are three, prim I guess, three primary human characters here. There are two prophets and the king who is the king, the, the, the new king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. But the story deals with the sin of the king. It's a rather complicated thing to follow, but we have to go all the way back to David to note <clears throat> the direction, the command, and the blessings of, the, of God, the God of Israel. And there were parameters given to the king, King David, and passed along to Solomon the warning was that if you sin, the kingdom will be torn from you and it'll be torn completely apart, which happened because of Solomon's sin in Rehoboam's reign. And Rehoboam is still reigning as king here, but our focus is on the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, which becomes known as Israel, and the southern kingdom known as Judah. Jeroboam, you may recall from what we've studied previously, was a, a very capable servant and Solomon put him to work and used him, but he was found to have some thoughts of his own, so Solomon was after him and he ran off to Egypt. You can imagine what kind of uh, influences came upon him while he was in Egypt. He became tolerant of, of various religions and lost touch with the worship and way of the true and living God. When Solomon died, he makes his way back and the people still, the people of the Northern Kingdom still remember him as their leader. He would stand up against those old guys of the Southern Kingdom of Judah. Who do they think they are? Well, what makes you think we're part of the house of Jesse? All that kind of stuff. So he's come back and he's just a politically minded man. When I finished my first doctorate, my doctor of ministry, 
my dissertation was a, a, a comparison of the demise, of, well, the rise and then demise of the northern kingdom of Israel, and I compared it with the rise and demise of the United States of America. It's amazing how the histories of both nations, one an ancient nation, one a modern nation, their histories were so similar. The northern kingdom of Israel, unlike Judah, was not a theocracy. Now the temple was in Judah. And the king had to be the son of David, a son of, there was a covenant established by Yahweh, the Davidic covenant. The king of the northern kingdom, however, would be a, a political man. He was, he was in it for himself and for power, uh, and his bloodline had nothing to do with it. His son, for example, would not necessarily be the next king. There was nothing written about that. And so there were conspiracies and political fights and all kinds of stuff that happened in the northern kingdom of Israel in its rise to power. And they had a, a flavor of God, but the problem was they brought in all these other gods as well, and then they tried to make God fit into the world. And so they made their own temple and had their own altars and priests and so forth. So there was a, it was a diluted kind of religion, if you want to call it that, that developed in the northern kingdom of Israel. And that development started with their first king, Jeroboam. So we are well into the separation of these two nations, Israel and Judah. Rehoboam is still the king in Judah. He's a son of David, grandson. But Jeroboam is the political leader, a savvy man of the world, and he's doing what he has to do in his mind in, in and of the world to cement his leadership and uh, to make his nation at least the equal of the southern kingdom of Judah, which having lost the 10 northern tribes as well as the, the land area that was lost, Judah is now weakened. It's far less than what it was when Solomon was king. So the kings of the northern kingdom Though, though Yahweh sent prophets to them, one of those prophets comes from Judah, and we'll see about him here in this passage. Others included Hosea and Amos. Though prophets were sent from Yahweh to them, to those kings, there was never any really for the most part, spiritual depth at all. They just didn't think that much about the important things with regard 
to spiritual life. They were just in this thing for fame and glory and power and wealth and all that kind of stuff. Just you're, you know, just politicians, if you will. So here is an account of the early warning from Yahweh to the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam. First Kings 13. So let's look at this together. An unnamed prophet is sent by Yahweh to confront this king. He gives him a threefold prophecy here. But remember, this entire chapter is to teach us about the sin of Jeroboam and how it affected the rest of the history of the northern kingdom. Now they go on, they go on a couple hundred or so years longer. As a matter of fact, the northern kingdom, oh, 150 or so years after the first Jeroboam, rise to an unmatched pinnacle of power in their world in their day. The northern kingdom of Israel had the greatest army, had a tremendous economy, but it was their prosperity that brought their ruin. God would say to them through the prophet Hosea, the more they were increased, the more they sinned against me. And the indictment in Hosea is like a man issuing, uh, issuing his paper for divorce. It's Yahweh divorcing the northern kingdom. And he gives, he gives the reasons for the divorce. And that's why, for example, that's why Hosea is, is the prophet. His life reflected the kind of heartache and heartbreak between he and his wife, Gomer, that Yahweh felt about the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, the description is made in Hosea of how the people had abandoned the Bible, the Word of God. As a matter of fact, they, they, they had no knowledge of the Word of God. For the lack of knowledge of my Word, we, I destroy them. They had no knowledge of the Word of God. They became more filled with violence so that toward the very end of the existence of that northern kingdom, anarchy ruled. The Bible says they break out in other words, they cast off all bonds of law and order and blood touches blood. While these guys were conspiring and fighting over the throne of the northern kingdom of this great nation, it became a great nation under Jeroboam II. No relationship to Jeroboam I, but he took that name and he reigned for 40 years and he, through his reign, he brought Israel to the pinnacle of world power. And after he died, there had been this stability, at least, in the throne for those 40 years. But when he died, no less than six men came to the throne in less than 20 years that followed. Total confusion and anarchy. They were 
the, the kings would kill one another. They would conspire against one another. Uh, and this went on until finally the government, the administration itself just began to collapse from within and there was no attention paid then to the keeping up, up, up of the economy, to taking care of the people and keeping the people prosperous and happy. And then, of course, taking care of the military at a time when Assyria was building its military might to be unchecked, finally, even by the military might of Israel. And Israel swept, uh, Assyria swept in and captured the northern kingdom. Well, the beginning of all of their troubles is here in Jeroboam because he brings to the northern kingdom a lifestyle that, they, that the people had never known when the kingdom was united. There is no son of David on the throne. There is no temple in the northern kingdom. And so they begin to create their own temple, their own priesthood, their own way to sacrifice, their own altars, and so forth. And that started with Jeroboam. So here we go. And behold, a man of Elohim, a man of God, came from Judah. He is from Judah. At the command of Yahweh to Bethel, and Jeroboam was standing on the altar offering sacrifices. Now, Bethel is not, is not Jerusalem. Jeroboam took it upon himself to build an altar and offer sacrifices. So he assumed the position of the priesthood. Now, what kind of altar is it and to, to what God is he offering sacrifices? Verse two. And he called in prophecy about the altar at the command of Yahweh, that is the man of God, the man of Elohim. And he said, altar, now here, notice this. Yahweh won't even waste his time talking to Jeroboam, the king. He's going to talk to that stupid altar that Jeroboam has built. And so this man of God said, altar, altar. And he says in prophecy, so said Yahweh, behold, a son will be born to the house of David. His name is Josiah. And I have in little letters there, plus 300. It'll be 300 years later before this happens. I mean, it's, it names this guy, names the king, but also designates and elevates the house of David above anything that the northern kingdom could do. A son will be born to the house of David, one of the sons of David, a king of Judah. Josiah will be his name. And upon you, he will slaughter all the priests of the high places who offer sacrifices on you. Now remember, Yahweh's talking to the altar. And human bones, and they will burn upon you. As a matter of fact, this, is, this actually, of course, happened. Some 300 years or so later, good King Josiah came to the throne of Judah and he was renowned in scripture for the fact that he took on a campaign against idolatry and the worship of, of pagan gods and goddesses and so forth. And he goes to the very altar. Now this altar had stood for 300 years or so that Jeroboam had built. 
And the offerings were made to, to just various, apparently various gods and goddesses. And it was not in keeping, of course, it was not in keeping with the law of Moses. This is something that Jeroboam created for himself. And so the prophecy comes to him from this prophet in Judah. And the prophecy to the altar, you're going to be destroyed by the house of David, a son of David named Josiah. And he'll slaughter all of these pagan priests and he will destroy the high places. These priests who offer sacrifices on you and human bones will they burn upon you. Now you can, will, God willing, we'll see it later as we study in Kings. Josiah, this is exactly what happens three or so centuries later. But at the very beginning of the northern kingdom, the warning comes from heaven. The prophet of Yahweh, man of God, he's called man of Elohim. And he makes this prophecy. And it's a, as you see, it's, it's, it's a, as we will see here, a, three, a threefold prophecy. And he gave a sign on that day saying, this is the sign that Yahweh has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split and the ashes that are upon it shall be spilled. Well, the king didn't like it very much. So his, his response to that was not very friendly. It was when the king, Jeroboam, heard the words of the man of God, which he proclaimed concerning the altar in Bethel, that Jeroboam stretched out his hand from over the altar saying, seize him. And his hand that he had stretched out against him became stiff and he couldn't draw his hand back to himself. And the altar split, the ashes fell from the altar in accordance with the sign that the man of God gave by the word of Yahweh. And the king responded and said to the man of Elohim, Entreat now Yahweh your God and pray for me that my hand may draw back to me. And the man of God entreated Yahweh and the king's hand was drawn back to him and it was as before. Did that make a difference in the life of Jeroboam? No, not at all. So you'll notice up here he said uh, by the word uh, your God, Yahweh, your God. He didn't even claim God for his own. So the king tries to schmooze uh, the prophet and maybe reward him in some way. King spoke to the man of God, come with me to my house, dine with me and I shall give you a gift. Now this is a very important part of the narrative here. And the man of Elohim said to the king, if you give me half of your house, I will not come with you. I will neither eat bread nor I'll drink water in this place. For so has commanded me by the words of Yahweh saying, you shall not eat bread nor drink water, neither shall you return by the road by which you have come. And he went by another road and he did not return by the way through which he had entered Bethel. All right, so we have a prophet delivering the word of God and the sign 
from Yahweh was given by the split altar and ashes falling, all that stuff. And then, of course, the miracle of, of the healing of the king's hand, arm, hand. So we have a prophet who has been obedient and a king who is disobedient. But prevailing above all is the word of God. Above the person of the prophet, certainly above the king, above anybody, above any situation. The highest thing here is the word of God, the tenacity of the word of God. And this is, a, this is an intriguing passage here that really gives us a deep lesson. So in verses 11 through 19, we have a compromised and deceiving prophet. So here's the man of God going back another way. An elderly prophet, this is another prophet, was sojourning in Bethel. His son came to him, related to him all the deed that the man of God had performed that day in Bethel. The words he had spoken to the king and they related them to their father, that is the old prophet. And their father <coughs> spoke to them, by which road did he go? And his son showed him the road by which the man of God who had come from Judah had departed. And he said to his sons, saddle for me a donkey. They saddled a donkey for him and he rode on it. And he went after the man of Elohim and he found him sitting under a terebinth, under a kind of an oak tree. And he spoke to him, are you the man of Elohim who came from Judah? He replied, I am he. And he said to him, come with me to my home and eat bread. Now hold, watch this closely. And he said, I cannot return with you and come with you and I should not eat bread or drink water in this place. For a message came to me at the command of Yahweh. You shall not eat bread nor shall you, you shall not drink water there. You shall not return to go by the road with which you arrived. So he explains to the old prophet, can't do it. Yahweh has told me not to do this. Now, he said to him, I too am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the command of Yahweh saying, bring him back to your house and he shall eat bread and drink water. But the old prophet lied to him. He returned with him and he ate bread in his house and he drank water. He just broke the word of God. You see, if the old guy saw an angel, it was a fallen angel, it was a demon, if, if that happened at all. But the command of an angel can never preempt the command of Yahweh. If you were to wake up in the middle of the night and there was a glorious and grand creature at the foot of your bed with wings that spanned from one end of the bedroom to the other and he was glowing and sparkling with a winsome smile and he told you to do something or even to disbelieve the word of God, you would, in, you would be in deep trouble 
to follow even one called an angel of God. Well, he lied to him about all this, this old prophet. So, you know, what's his, what's the end game for this old guy? For one thing, whether or not the old prophet realized it, this is a test of the, the man of God, the man of Elohim. It is a test, but it is also an illustration to the king, Jeroboam. Stay with the story here. He returned with him and he ate bread in his house and he drank water. Now, here's what happens. As they were sitting at the table, the word of Yahweh came to the prophet who had brought him back and he called to the man of Elohim, the man of God, who had come from Judah saying, thus said Yahweh, because you have rebelled against the word of Yahweh, and you did not keep the commandments that Yahweh, your God, commanded you. And you returned and ate bread and drank water in the place concerning which he spoke to you, saying you should not eat bread nor drink water. Your corpse shall not come to the grave of your forefathers. You're going to die before you get home. Okay. You go back to this thing and look at it. He didn't say, Yahweh did not say, don't eat the bread of the king. He didn't say anything. He said, this place, this whole place, you don't stay here. Take another road back. That seems like a simple enough instruction. But this deceiving old prophet comes along, tells him a lie. The trap is set. The judgment is swift from Yahweh. You're not even going to make it home. You're going to die. And it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. He went on his way and a lion found him and killed him. Man of God. And his corpse was thrown into the road. The donkey was standing next to it and the lion was standing next to the corpse. And here men were passing and they saw the corpse thrown in the road and the lion standing next to the corpse. They came and spoke in the city wherein the old prophet was residing. And the prophet that had brought him back from the way and heard and he said, it is a man of God who rebelled against the command of Yahweh and Yahweh has given him to the lion the lion has torn him asunder and killed him. True to the word of Yahweh that he had spoken concerning him. He spoke to his sons saying, saddle the donkey for me. This is the old prophet, the deceiving, lying prophet. They saddled it and he went, discovered his corpse thrown in the road with the donkey and the lion standing next to the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, neither had it torn the donkey asunder. The purpose of the event was not to feed the lion. It was to make a point. So then the old prophet sees exactly what has happened. I'm skipping. The prophet carried the corpse of the man of Elohim. He placed it on his donkey and brought it back. And he came to the old prophet's city to eulogize him and bury him. 
He placed the corpse in his grave and they eulogized him. Alas, my brother. And it was after he had buried him that he said to his children, saying, at my death, you shall bury me in the grave wherein the man of Elohim is buried. Next to his bones, place my bones. For the thing that he called out by the word of Yahweh will come to be about that the altar that is in Bethel as about all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. Interestingly, in the context of the story of, of uh, Josiah, as I recall, there was a stone, a commemorating stone to a prophet who didn't have a name. Well, anyway, what in the world do we get from that story? A lot of things. But the first and foremost thing is that the Word of God cannot be compromised in any whit. We live in a world today where churches and preachers and teachers, authors of books, take great liberty with the Word of God. As though it's not really what God meant. I study this stuff all the time. I get these journals and uh, these, these online magazines and so forth that uh, are always quoting verbatim. Uh, certain pastors of fairly large churches, denominational statements that are issued, and they, they, are, they, are, they are compromised with the Word of God. But more than that, the message to Jeroboam when it gets back to him is this. Jeroboam, you remember the man of God I sent to you and he showed you a sign that he was bringing you my word, warning you about this altar and this creepy religion that you're starting among my people in the northern kingdom. You remember that prophet who came to you and showed you by sign and even healed your arm and hand when it was stiffened by my judgment. You remember that guy? He compromised my word. He disobeyed me and I killed him. I sent a lion and the lion mauled him and he fell dead off of his donkey. The donkey wasn't harmed. The lion didn't even eat the guy. But it is known by everyone that the lion came and killed him. And I sent him to you and he's a man of God and he's, he's mine. But let me tell you something, Jeroboam. If I'll do that to him because of what he did, how much more do you think I'm going to do to you if you disregard my word? Well, of course, the word of God was totally disregarded. It, it speaks volumes to us today about how careful we should treat the word of God. 
Even to me, even down to the translations that we read, you know, who translated it? From whence did they come? What's the background of their study? Why, how, how serious are they and how deeply rooted are these people? I have seen, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, oh, mighty evangelists and pastors and book authors and conference leaders, I have seen them rise and I have seen them fall because they have compromised the word of God. And sometimes it means that your crowds aren't going to be what they used to be. That's what it means sometimes. Your, your income is not going to be what it used to be. Your, your, your fame, your picture on every, on every slick cover of a book that goes out is not going to always be there. And the book sales are going to fall if you stay with the word. But how much worse it is to compromise the word of God, you cannot, you cannot listen to the deluding spirits and the deceiving prophets of this world. You cannot listen to it. You must learn and stay with the word of God, period. And I'll tell you the tug of this world is strong. It's very strong. The lies, you know what the Bible says? It says something like this. The Lord Jesus said, well, if I, don't, if I don't cut those days short, even the very elect would be deceived. That's how deceitful the world can be. Jeroboam, the beginner of the political life of leadership in the northern kingdom of Israel, you've chosen the wrong path. And I'm warning you, that judgment will come. This is my word. And of course it came and it all happened just the way Yahweh said that it would. Now here's God's truth for Jeroboam. Last couple of verses here. After this thing, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way, but he continued and made some of the people priests of the high places. Anyone who wished would initiate himself and become one of the priests of the high places. I told you about that guy that got laid off at Goodyear and he said, I can always go back to preaching. Hey, if the corn crop doesn't come in, I guess I can go and be a priest of whatever this is in Samaria, in the Northern Kingdom. Pretty much anything goes if you make up your own religion and you completely separate yourself from the word of God and just make up stuff, have a little bit of the word of God and then anything else that you want to throw in there along the way. Because of this came what came to be known as the sin of the house of Jeroboam to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth. Such a terrible thing. Now God knows where they are. God knows about bloodlines and genealogies and all that. 
But because of this, after Assyria swept in and totally dismantled the northern kingdom and totally erased their identity such that they became known as the ten lost tribes. You've heard that. Well, they reappear in the book of the Revelation because God knows where they are. But this sin of the house of Jeroboam not only cut off his name from the face of the earth and destroyed it, but it seemed to make 10 of the 12 tribes disappear for a long time. What a horrible and terrible sin. And it's laid here at the feet of one guy, Jeroboam. All oh, the importance the, the importance of leadership, what rises and what falls, where from whence cometh the integrity, and is there compromise, or is there a, sta is there a standard of righteousness that will not be compromised? Because we've seen it, I think, in our own nation. When a, a certain worldview comes into power, and this worldview is anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christian, anti-church, when it's like that, the world loves it. How fast the downward spiral to the depths of degradation before unknown in such a culture. These people of the Northern Kingdom now are going to be introduced to things that they could have never dreamed of until the compromising leadership of Jeroboam and those who followed him brought these other cultures in and religions and mixed them with these 10 northern tribes who came forth from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as the people of God in the Old Testament. We'll stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.